नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय निसमोचन फान पात्र औत्सुक्य विस्लाशतूलबंड सज्यो फिशिचारृहखारमपथीचतल्फे द्रस्थूम योवतयास्मरेन्द्रमागे निशम्यारोचन फान पात्र औत्सुक्य सज्यो विसृज्या गृहखारमपथीचतल्पे द्रष्टुम जयोर्योवतयास्मरेन्द्रमागे निशम्यारोचन फान पात्र औत्सुक्य विश्लाशतूलबंड सज्यो विसृज्या गृहखारमपथीचतल्पे स्थूम योवतयास्मरेन्द्रमागे
ladies. Reservoir, Autsukya, out of their eagerness, Vishlatita, loosened, Kesha, their hair, Dukula, of their dresses, Bandha, any knots, Sadya, immediately, Visridja, Abandoning Griha of the household, Karma their work, Patin their husbands, Cha and Talpe in bed, Drashtum to see, Yayu went, Yuvataya. The young girls, Sma, indeed, Nara Indra, of the king, Marge, unto the road. When the young women of the city heard that Lord Krishna, the reservoir of pleasure for human eyes, had arrived, they hurriedly went onto the royal road to see him. They abandoned their household duties and even left their husbands in bed. And in their eagerness, the knots of their hair and garments came loose. The royal road being quite crowded with elephants, horses, chariots, and foot soldiers, the women climbed to the top of their houses where they caught sight of Lord Krishna and his queens. The city ladies scattered flowers upon the Lord, embraced him in their minds, and expressed their heartfelt welcome with broadly smiling Lances. Purport. Srila Sridhar Swami comments that the ladies communicated through their affectionate glances, their eager inquiries as to the comfort of the Lord's trip, and so on. In other words, in their ecstasy, they intensely desired to serve the Lord. 
ಜನಾಚಲಾಕಾ ಚಕ್ಷುರುಮೀಗುರವೇ ನಮಃ ಶ್ರೀಚೈತನ್ಯಮನೋಭೀಷ್ಟಾಪಿತೇ ಸ್ವಯಂಕಾಮಿ ವಂದೇಹಂಶ್ರೀಗುರೋಸ್ವಾಪದಕಮಲಂಶ್ರೀಗುರುಂ ಶ್ರೀರಾಧಾಕೃಷ್ಣಪಾತಃಕನಾಲಿತೀವಿಶಾಕಾಂಬಿಧಂಶ್ಚೇ ಕೃಷ್ಣಕರುಣಾಸಿಂಧುದೀನಾಬಂಧುಜಗತ್ಪತೆ ಕೋಪೇಶೋಪಿಕಾಂಡಾಮೋಸ್ತೆಪ್ತಕಾಂಶನಾಗೌರಾಂಗೀ ರಾಧೆ ವೃಂದಾವನೇಶ್ವರಿ ವೃಷಭಾನುಸುತೇವಿ ಪ್ರಣಮಿ ಹರಿ ಪ್ರಿಯ ವಂಶಕಲ್ಪತರುಭ್ಯ ಕೃಪಾಸಿಂಧುಭ್ಯ ಪಥಿಭ್ಯೋ ವೈಷ್ಣವೇಭ್ಯೋ ನಮೋ ನಮಃ ಶ್ರೀಕೃಷ್ಣಚೈತನ್ಯ ಪ್ರಭೋ ನಿತ್ಯಾನಂದ ಶ್ರೀಯದ್ವೈತಗದಾಧಿಗೌರಭಕ್ತವೃಂದ ಹರೇ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ಹರೇ ಕೃಷ್ಣ 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 ಹರೇ 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 ರಾಮ ಹರೇ ರಾಮ 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 ಹರೇ 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 Today we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 71, entitled, The Lord Travels to Indraprastha, Text 33 and 34. As Krishna's entering the city of Indraprastha. Shukadeva Goswami is revealing to us the loving relationships exchanged between Krishna and his devotees. Each devotee in their unique personal way is welcoming krishna and krishna is perfectly reciprocating exactly according to their hearts innermost desires krishna being rasa bihari he 
fully understands the innermost nature of our consciousness. He knows the soul's deepest desires. Each atma or soul is completely unique. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave us the teaching of unity in diversity. Achintya Beda Beda Tattva. Simultaneous oneness and uniqueness. Mamaivam so jiva loke jiva buddha sanatana. Every living being is a part of Krishna. Every living being is coming from Krishna. We are all emanations, parts and parcels of Krishna. Therefore, Krishna knows each and every one of us completely. And Krishna has created every living being in a very personal way to have very unique qualities eternally. Although we are all one in that we are all eternal, full of knowledge, full of bliss, we all have unity in the sense with each other because we are all coming from the same source and essentially we all have the identical exact purpose in life to love Krishna, to serve Krishna to accept Krishna's love. This is Sanatan Dharma. In this way, the soul in this way, the eternal soul of each living being in Indraprastha is expressing themselves according to that love. In the material world, which is a reflection of the spiritual world, everything has its variegated uniqueness. There are no two trees that are identical. There are no two blades of grass that are identical. There are actually no atomic molecular or atomic particles that are identical. Everything has its special uniqueness. And the deeper we go into understanding, the more we can appreciate that variegatedness. For a human being to look at, an, at a group of ants, they all look the same. But for the ants, they see as much variegatedness in themselves as humans see among themselves. Because they're just more tuned in to understanding each other. Some people from the West come to India and they just think all Indians look the same. 
Well, here in India, we understand the uniqueness and difference. And you may think everyone in a, from the West looks the same. So it is a reality. The more we understand anything within creation, the more we can appreciate the variegatedness and the uniqueness of everything in Krishna's creation. Why? Because material existence is a reflection of spiritual existence. And in the spiritual realm, there is limitless variegatedness. In the spiritual world, everyone has a very particular relationship with Krishna. And it has all been created by Krishna. The free will of every living being is an expansion of Krishna's free will. When Krishna expands himself as limitless jivas, he expands his own qualities in each jiva. And one of those qualities is swarat, free will, independence. Krishna's free will is unlimited because he is the supreme controller and the source of everything that exists. As the Upanishads tell, nityo nityanam chaitanas chaitanana eko bahunam yogadatikama. There is one supreme eternal. And then there are limitless eternals who are all of us, the living beings. We are all, <clears throat> as Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita, we are all part of him. Fourth chapter, Krishna tells, Tadvedi pranipatena pariprashnena If you want to know the truth, You should approach a spiritual master. Inquire submissively and render service. The self-realized soul can impart knowledge because such a person has experienced that knowledge. They know the truth. So Krishna tells us how to understand the truth. Not possible through any academic skill, not through any type of accumulation of power or wealth or strength. It's only by the grace of Krishna. Krishna reveals himself by his own sweet will, according to our sincerity. And the quality of our sincerity is we accept Krishna's ultimate supreme role as the supreme, as the absolute truth. So Krishna tells, if you want to understand the truth, approach a guru. That's his will. He reveals himself through, this, through these ways. And when we approach a guru, it must be in a mood of submission with a will to serve and essentially service means to carry out the instructions 
to take the words of the gurus and put them into our life. And then Krishna goes on to tell what the truth actually is. When you have thus learned the truth through this process, you will know that all living beings are in me. They are of me. They are mine. Every living being is part of Krishna. We're all in Krishna. We're all of Krishna. We all belong to Krishna. When we understand that ourselves, we understand that everyone, whatever our race, whatever our nationality, whatever our caste, whatever our state of mind, whatever species we may in, Krishna says, they are mine. They belong to Krishna. They're of Krishna. They're part of Krishna. And when we actually know that, then we live according to that understanding. In the material world, the infinite variegatedness is seen by a devotee as in the same way that they would see the spiritual world in the sense that all of this variegatedness, all material elements are all meant for Krishna's pleasure. Krishna tells in Gita that he's the ability in man. He's the strength of the strong, the intelligence of the intelligent. Sarvaloka Maheshwaram. Everything is his property. So when Krishna enters Dwaraka, first he meets Maharaj Yudhisthira, who's actually he's entering Indrapasta. And when Maharaj Yudhisthira hears that Krishna has come, he's such a great and powerful king, such wealth, such a high birth, such qualities but he's completely conscious that everything belongs to Krishna. Whatever he's doing is only for Krishna. He's so happy to hear of Krishna's arrival. It's not that he's asking Krishna, you come to have Krishna come to my throne and I will meet him. He gets off of his throne. He get, he runs out of his palace. <laughs> He runs to meet Krishna at the border of the city of Hastinapur. And it describes how Yudhisthira Maharaj so much love for Krishna, so much gratitude, so much of a feeling of total dependence that he's weeping incessantly upon seeing Krishna. His limbs are trembling in love and he's embracing Krishna again and again and again. And Bhima, Bhima's very powerful, strong warrior. But when he's before Krishna, he's like a little helpless baby. He's crying incessantly. Tears are flowing from his eyes. Krishna embraces him. And Arjuna, the greatest of warriors, 
along with Nakula Sahadev. They are all coming to Krishna as fast as they could come with such eagerness, such enthusiasm. Krishna is embracing all of them. It's their heart's innermost desire to please Krishna. And Krishna's coming is Krishna's way of reciprocating and acknowledging their lives of devotion. And after Krishna's embracing and welcoming and speaking such um, intimate words of friendship with all of them, then Krishna sees the Brahmins. Krishna takes some steps away from his friends and he personally bows down to offer his respects and worship to all of the Brahmins. Whatever Krishna does, he's setting an example for everyone. But also, it's from his heart. Krishna worships the Brahmins because the Brahmins help people to know him and love him. And when people know him and love him, they become happy. And ultimately, Krishna wants us all to be happy. If you love Krishna, if you love Krishna, you won't be miserable. You'll be happy for Krishna's happiness. But that's not so easy in this material world. And that's why we will very um, seriously discipline ourselves in the right spirit to follow the principles of bhakti. Because we want to purify ourselves We want to awaken our original spiritual nature. We want to be happy so that Krishna will be happy. Krishna descends into this world again and again in so many ways, either directly, personally, through expansions, through sons, through servants, just to teach us How to love him, how to understand his love for us, and how to be happy. Why does he come again and again? This is the uniqueness of Krishna, because Krishna has limitless, um, pure, unalloyed devotee servants in the spiritual world. There's Goloka, there's many different Vaikuntha planets. And in all of them, everyone is completely surrendered with pure hearts to Krishna. By their free will. Material world is a place where people, generally, they, they're envious of Krishna. They're in different levels of, of rebellion against Krishna's love. In various degrees, people in this material world want to be the enjoyer, want to be the controller, want to be the proprietor. And Krishna is the only enjoyer, controller, and proprietor. 
How many of us want to associate with people who are envious of us? Who want to usurp, take credit for whatever we do? But Krishna comes again and again because he because we're his children. <laughs> and for a good parent, even when a child is completely rebellious and hateful to the parents, parents never give up. That's the nature of a loving parent. But you, a loving parent, where do they get those attributes from? From Krishna, supreme. He's within the heart of all of us. And he never leaves. Whatever we do, there's nothing anyone can do in creation, in any species, where the Paramatma will forsake us. Krishna's always there for our own rectification, purification. Krishna will allow us to act according to our free will. He will allow the laws of karma to act upon us according to our actions and words. But he's always there. Always ready to give us another chance. Even the little cockroaches and the rats and all the different kinds of people that that people in Bombay don't like to see at least humans but the cockroaches and rats probably don't like to see humans (laughs) things are quite relative but in whatever the Paramatma is always right beside the soul ready to give us his mercy whenever we sincerely turn to him. And because the Brahmins, a true Brahmin is one who's actually surrendered to giving knowledge of Krishna through their actions, through their words. A true Brahmin, through actions and words, are blessing the people. At the time of this particular story, the Brahmins, whether they were grihastas or whether they were sadhus, they would generally go house to house to beg for food. Not because they're so hungry, but because the people whose houses they're going to are hungry. Hungry for spiritual knowledge hungry for Krishna's blessings. And there's a reciprocation. This is the tradition. The people who are living in the home, they give the Brahmin some food to eat, and the Brahmin gives blessings and knowledge, food for the mind and food for the soul. It's an exchange. To actually receive is always an exchange of blessings on a spiritual level. And when 
Vedic system is when such a guest comes to the house, you treat them in such a way to please their hearts. When a Brahmin comes to a house and you really want to please them, you offer them respects, you offer them food, you offer them a sitting place. In those days, you would wash their feet and they would just be pleased by the sincerity of your welcome. And then you give them some food and they give knowledge because when we when we submit ourselves and when we in that mood to please we render service then only is our hearts receptive to actually receive knowledge and blessings this concept of tadvidi pranipatena pariprashnena sevaya is very important it doesn't only uh, apply to one's diksha guru or shiksha gurus. It applies to to actually the way by which we receive knowledge from any enlightened persons or persons who are re- representing enlightened persons. When we're humble and when we have a service attitude, then our hearts are receptive. If we're not humble and we don't have a service attitude, no matter what the situation is, our hearts are not receptive. We can intellectually learn some things, but that doesn't transform us. It doesn't bring us closer to God. So traditionally, when Brahmins would come to house, people, they were humble. They wanted to please them through their service. And therefore, they were, their hearts were receptive to their blessings. In Srila Prabhupada's life, he would, he, he would explain how when he was a little boy, his mother and father would invite, invite sadhus to their home practically every evening. And they would please them with hospitality. They would please them with wonderful prasad. They would please them in every way to make them happy. And then they would ask for a blessing. Please, our little son Abai, bless him that he will be dear to Srimati Radharani. And certainly those sadhus, their blessings were flowing because they were pleased. Ultimately, Krishna, Kapila Dev tells that he's more happy when we feed the Brahmins nice prasad with ghee according to the verse, than we are when we put the ghee in the sacred fire for Krishna. When we feed the devotees, Krishna is more happy than when we please him. 
we offer we offer bhoga to the deities and according to our devotion Krishna is very pleased but when we serve that prasad to, to, to devotees of the Lord Krishna is even more pleased so here the supreme personality of Godhead is being worshipped, honored, and loved by the king and all of the great heroic princes, the Pandavas. And Krishna's honoring the Brahmins. And the Brahmins are honoring Krishna. For the Brahmins, he is the supreme worshipable object. And for Krishna, they are worshipable objects. And this is the inconceivable oneness and diversity. They're both correct. Krishna loves the Brahmins because the Brahmins are giving the opportunity of the greatest happiness to the fallen souls of this world. And the whole city of Indraprastha is decorated so beautifully. It is described in great, in some detail by Shukadev Goswami. How to welcome Krishna. The entire city was, was cleaned and ornamented in so many beautiful ways. Why? Because everything there, the people of Indraprastha could see and understand, it was all there to offer to Krishna for Krishna's pleasure. So even though it may seem material that they're making so many arrangements, it was actually an expression of their devotion. And in today's particular verses, it's beautifully explained how the royal road, it was crowded with elephants, horses, chariots, and foot soldiers. The women climbed to the top of their houses where they caught sight of Lord Krishna and his queens. The city ladies scattered flowers upon the Lord, embraced him in their minds, and expressed their heartfelt welcome with broadly smiling glances. Some people, they don't like crowds. <laughs> but it describes here the royal road was quite crowded and not only with people but with elephants, horses, chariots and soldiers it's really a crowd but everyone was happy 
because the crowd was gathered for Krishna. Just like Sunday, sometimes our Sunday program, people don't like to come because it's too crowded. <laughs> but if we understand it in the context of Srimad Bhagavatam, the more crowded it is, the more happy we should be. Because everyone's coming for Krishna. Everyone's coming to honor and respect Krishna. Everyone's coming to chant the holy names of Krishna. So you see, if it's about us, then there's a lot of inconvenience by crowds. Because, you know, some people sometimes crash into us, step on our feet. We want to get somewhere within seconds, but it takes us such a long time. Yes, it's difficult. Most people don't like that. But when we think about it from the perspective that all these people are coming to to worship Krishna, to please Krishna, to offer their hearts to Krishna, then it gives us great happiness. So Sukadev Goswami specifically uses the word crowded in his explanation of this very blissful event. And the ladies, they go to the top, top of their houses, not just to escape the crowd. because they want to personally offer their love to Krishna in a very special way. And it describes here that Krishna is with all his queens, many queens. <laughs> Krishna came to Indraprastha with his ministers, with his soldiers, with his queens, with so many people, so many rishis. When they came to the top of their houses, in the, in the verse that we read previous to this, it tells how when the young women of the city heard that Lord Krishna, the reservoir of pleasure for human eyes, had arrived, they hurriedly went to the royal road to see him. They abandoned their household duties and even left their husbands in bed. And in their eagerness, the knots of their hair and garments came loose. It's that same spirit that we read about in the earlier chapters of Srimad Bhagavatam, where the Brahmins' wives, when they were invited to come and give Krishna prasad then they with great eagerness they left everything they left their homes they left their families they left all their worldly duties they were they they left their social positions and their um, their respectability everything they left just for Krishna it was complete surrender 
And similarly, when Krishna played upon his flute, he called gopis. And they left everything in that moonlit night for Krishna's pleasure. Sharanagati. They did nothing for themselves. In fact, they jeopardized themselves in every possible way to satisfy Krishna. And in the same mood, the ladies of Indraprastha, for Krishna's pleasure, they left everything behind. This concept of surrender or sharanagati is illustrated in the lives of these very, very different types of people. The gopis are simple cowherd girls. Krishna is calling them to dance with him in the night. And they abandon everything for that. The yagyapatnis, they're brahmins, very highly um, respected brahmins in society. Their husbands are the gurus of everyone. They left... They left that. (laughs) They left their husbands, who are the gurus of society, to be with Krishna. Not to dance with him, but because he was hungry. They wanted to offer him their food. The gopis were offering their body, mind, words, and lives through dancing with Krishna. The Yagyapatnis were offering their body, minds, words, lives by offering their food to Krishna. And the ladies of Indraprastha, they also abandoned everything. They surrendered their body, minds, words, and lives. They're Kshatriyas. One of gopis, cowherd girls. Brahmins, and these are Kshatriyas, coming from families of great princes and warriors. And they are offering their body, minds, words, and lives to Krishna just through their smiles and through their glances and through their eagerness to see him. And Krishna was so pleased. There's so many subtle ways of receiving and expressing love. And we find in these beautiful pages of Srimad Bhagavatam just smiling. You see these, the cowherd boys, they could embrace Krishna, they can play with Krishna, they can jump with Krishna, they can do so many games with Krishna. Other people can make so many garlands for Krishna and so many things for Krishna. But these ladies are on the roof and there's huge crowds all around. But yet, they are fully expressing their love just from their eagerness to see Krishna. Their, their glances, they were glancing upon Krishna with such love, with such affection, with such gratitude. 
their smile. Their smile was illuminated with their love and their and their surrender to Krishna. Krishna himself as Mahavishnu through a single moment's glance he creates the entire cosmic manifestation. Yes, he exhales and from his pores the whole cosmos is created. All the universe is manifest. And through a moment glance he impregnates limitless living beings within the universe. And through his glance he um, he induces time to activate everything. So that's Krishna's glance. And in the spiritual world, Lord Krishna, who is the source of Mahavishnu, it describes so much how he reciprocates with his devotees through his glances, through his smiles. It's a, it's a spiritual level of communication. Someone should glance upon that child. <laughs> Sometimes in crowds it's very difficult to control. Babies and cellular phones. <laughs> For those who are giving class, they are of the same tattva. <laughs> and in this way, how Krishna reciprocates with his devotees through his glances and smiles in a mood of service. In other words, Krishna wants to please his devotees and his devotees want to please Krishna. So the laities, they are scattering flowers upon Krishna. It's like a Pushyabhishek festival in Indraprastha. They're scattering flowers upon Krishna. And in their minds, they're embracing him. And the beautiful understanding is how in their minds, Krishna is embracing them as well. They are having full relationship of embracing. Just as Yudhisthira Maharaj and his brothers were physically embracing Krishna 
in a very personal way. Similarly, every one of these um, ladies of Indraprastha, from their rooftops, were embracing Krishna in their minds through their smiles and glances. And Krishna was embracing each and every one of them very personally within their hearts. Is there any questions? Yes. Hare Krishna. Maharaj, after staying for some years in devotional life, we come to a conclusion that it is going to be only a causeless mercy that is going to help us in Krishna consciousness. Our endeavor will have some limitation. And finally, it is only going to be a causeless mercy that will take us out from this material mess. So always that thing used to be coming in our mind that even if we struggle, even if we work hard, even if we go to the best of our ability, yet there is a limitation because the anarthas and our shortcomings are not going to go away. And finally, it's only... Krishna taking care of us and giving his causeless mercy. So then a Maharaj a thought comes in our mind that on one side Krishna is an autocrat. Krishna can give causeless mercy or Krishna cannot give causeless mercy. It is what depends on him. So on one side Krishna is an autocrat and we know that we need only causeless mercy. There is no other hope we have. And on the other side, we know it that this place is a nasty place. We want to get out from this place. But we cannot do the thing which Krishna wants for us to do it. So our situation is in between. We can't get out also at the same time. We cannot come to the expectation of Krishna also. We come into between. And we don't know what Krishna is there. Krishna's, Krishna, in Krishna's mind, what is there? So is it something by which we can come to know some hint, we can get it, that what Krishna is thinking for us, is he going to give that causeless mercy by which he can take us out, or he has it something to go on rotting in this place for us, that we can have to rot for some more time, and get thoroughly smashed in this material world, then only he will give us a causeless mercy. If we can get some hint, at least some soulless type of a thing, we can get it, and we can go on sustaining this place in material world. Yes, just like that. Your question wake, made everyone awake. but you have come to the proper conclusion that ultimately we have to abandon all varieties of religion and just surrender to Krishna Sharanagati means to surrender and essentially, Krishna reciprocates according to our surrender. Yegyatamam prapadyante tamstataipabhachanya. 
according to our surrender, Krishna reveals himself. Bahunam janmanam ante jnanavamam papatyate vasudeva sarvamiti samahatma sudurlabaha After many, many births and deaths of cultivating knowledge, when one finally comes to true knowledge, one takes shelter, one surrenders to Krishna. So surrender is the culmination. That's ultimately the the bridge that brings us to Krishna. And bhakti is the process of bringing us to the point of that surrender. So after countless lifetimes of trying to independently be an enjoyer, a controller, a proprietor, and having all the samskaras and all the habits and all the conditionings filled with so many desires and aversions and fears and misconceptions that that are like limitless accumulations within our minds, when we come to the path of devotional service, as the years goes on, we actually come to the conclusion that it's only by Krishna's grace. It's only by our surrender. Because neophyte devotee, however many years, a neophyte devotee, even though intellectually understanding that still has the ahankar, the false ego wanting thinking I am the doer or even thinking I'm advanced I'm an advanced devotee I've been I've been here in this process for many years so I'm very advanced but the problem is what is advancement according to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Trinadapi Sunichena Tarwar Ibasihishnana Amanina Manadena Kirataniya Sadahari to the degree we're humble like a blade of grass tolerant and forgiving like a tree happy and eager to offer all respect to others and not expecting honor or respect for oneself these are in Krishna's eyes these are the qualities of an advanced devotee not necessarily what role we have what hierarchy position we have what knowledge we have what austerities we can perform how many donations we give. These are all things that are meant to bring us to the point of making spiritual advancement. But in Krishna's mind, this is what advancement is, that we're actually surrendered. And surrendering means an a awareness that we're completely dependent on Krishna. An awareness of Krishna's words that this material energy is very difficult to overcome. 
only one who takes shelter, who surrenders to Krishna, who is completely dependent on Krishna. So if we're sincere, after many, many years perhaps of chanting the Hare Krishna mantra and studying Srimad Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita and doing seva and following moral regulative principles, after many years, the actual sign of our advancement is we understand more and more how helpless we are that Maya is so strong that I, I really have to surrender to Krishna. It's only by Radharani's grace that I can know them at all. At the beginning, we really think we know Krishna. And our egos, you know, we try to learn more philosophy and then we try to learn more about the higher rasas and and you know what it is to be a gopi but ultimately do we really know Krishna it's not just intellectual we only know Krishna when Krishna reveals himself to us and Krishna reveals himself to us when we really recognize that we have no qualification we have to really surrender So if I were going to give a spiritual medical diagnosis of your question, you are doing very nicely because you are, you are coming to this conclusion. Now, if we give up our spiritual practice and we give up our chanting and give up studying our Srimad Bhagavatam because what's the use of this stuff? Everything's based on the mercy of Krishna. The reality is the mercy of Krishna is the Srimad Bhagavatam. The mercy of Krishna is the chanting of the holy names. And the sincerity of, take, of taking shelter of that mercy is in our chanting of Hare Krishna, in our hearing Srimad Bhagavatam, and in our service, in and our worshiping the deities. The whole process, the nine processes of bhakti, is that connection by which we can actually the difference between a neophyte devotee and a devotee really making spiritual advancement is a neophyte devotee is following these principles of bhakti, saravanam, kirtanam, smaranam, bandaram, and so forth, in a clearing state. And when we actually start making advancement, the same things we're really taking shelter of. We're no longer just chanting the Maha Mantra to get our rounds done, but we're getting our rounds done because we desperately are aware of how we need Krishna's mercy, who is coming in his holy name. As we make spiritual progress, we become more aware of how totally dependent we are of Krishna's grace. 
talking about surrender or talking about helplessness and hopelessness in our krishna consciousness we come to a conclusion and we understand that we cannot stay without krishna's mercy little bit negligence happens in our material life can create a havoc and we have to battle for the whole lifetime if little bit negligence happens and we have to thoroughly take shelter of krishna at every step but is it so something that there is a some level of surrender also that krishna will consider it that only on this level only i'll give mercy of surrender he is on the primary platform of surrender there is some higher standard of surrender so is it something in surrender also there are the steps or is it only one time that person comes to a conclusion that he is helplessly considering himself completely like a fish without a water he cannot stay if comes to that conclusion then he is a fifth perfect candidate for getting a causeless mercy or there is some level also in surrender krishna gives mercy at every level krishna gives his mercy at every time we meet a devotee Krishna gives mercy every time we hear or chant his names. Krishna gives mercy with every breath we breathe. Krishna gives mercy with every ray of the sun. Krishna gives mercy with every drop of food or water we eat. Krishna's mercy is everywhere. So Krishna's giving mercy. the problem is we're not recognizing and we're not reciprocating we're not receiving it with love and as we make spiritual progress we we recognize how to reciprocate with that mercy to sincerely try to please krishna through our service and ultimately through through our service we gain more and more a realization of how we are truly dependent upon krishna's grace the pleasures the pains the happinesses the distresses everything of this world a devotee understands they are very special forms of mercy to help me to take shelter of krishna to please krishna so a pure devotee is one whose ego is so purified that completely receive the mercy and reciprocate and on other levels of krishna consciousness we are we are trying to take shelter to actually prepare ourselves to, so that we can fully receive that mercy and reciprocate because ultimately everything in this world is so temporary the ups and the downs and everything else is in in the light of eternity they don't make so much difference but if we commit offenses because of these situations or we surrender to krishna in these situations that's what really matters 
Are we going to allow these temporary little situations of material world spoil our spiritual life by making apparats? Or are we going to allow these different situations in this world facilitate me perfecting my love for Krishna by surrendering with a grateful heart? So from the, from the perspective of Srimad Bhagavatam, what's ever happening in this world, it's an opportunity for bondage or liberation. And that's what we should see. We shouldn't just see the thing in itself. Because it's always changing. One day somebody's glorified, another day somebody's disgraced. One day somebody's victorious, another day a person is defeated. Just like a team in sports, they, they win a world championship in 1951. Yes, and in 1951, everyone's celebrating and having such a good time. But then in 2015, if they're doing terrible, nobody cares about 1951 anymore. They all just think, you people are useless. Yes, nobody cares about the past. So whatever defeats we have, and if somebody, if a team is doing terrible in 1951, and they become world champions in 2015, nobody cares about that. And what's the difference between 1951 and 2015? It's just a moment of time. In the same way, we're happy some days, people are cooperating with us some days, and other days people are not cooperating. One day you're healthy, one day you're sick. Twenty years ago, do you remember when you had a cold? But when you had the cold, your whole life was revolving around that cold. Yes, but now you don't even remember it. So everything's changing. In the course of time, we shouldn't take these dualities so seriously. We take it seriously by maintaining our integrity, by maintaining our principles, and by taking shelter of Krishna in that situation. That's what's really important. Life and death are so... There's such a small difference between the two in this world. So whatever may happen, we remain steady and faithful to following Srila Prabhupada's teachings, Lord Chaitanya's teachings, and living with the qualities of a devotee and taking shelter of Krishna's names. That's all that matters ultimately. And we perform our duties 
always with this goal in our heart. And I know that Ananda Vrindavan Prabhu has so many more questions. (laughs) And he's always had so many more questions. (laughs) But they're always, whatever questions you ask is always everybody's questions. We'll have one more question. Yes. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Um, I wanted to ask you that how to be equal to all. Because many of the times we see if uh, influ- there's an influential person, people just uh, run behind him or don't ignore him. They kind of flatter him many a times. But uh, on, the, on the other hand, if there's a simple man or a um, poor person, then people kind of ignore him. And there's a quite imbalance in here, we can see. So how, how to convert this imbalance into balance? Hare Krishna. <laughs> Thank you. How to create imbalance out of balance out of imbalance and to be equal to all. We are reading in today's verses. Krishna is reciprocating with everyone equally but uniquely. Yes? He's bowing to the Brahmins. He's embracing the Pandavas. He's glancing at the ladies on the rooftops. And even the elephants and the horses and the foot soldiers he's reciprocating with, but all in very different ways, according to their particular roles. But he's... He's the well-wisher always of everyone. So similarly in our lives, you have a mother and father, and you have teachers in school, and you have friends, and then there's you know, cows, sheep, and goats, and buffaloes. <laughs> and there's so many different people all around, right? And then there's people in the stores, beggars and so many people and we should be well-wisher of everyone but we can't treat everyone the same in because everyone we have different relation with them it's like do you treat your friends the same way you treat your father and mother if you did they wouldn't be your friends anymore <laughs> Do you treat your friends the way you treat the brahmacharis? (laughs) So you have different relationships with all different kinds of people, but Krishna is in the center. We're trying to be well-wisher. Yes. 
and one and by chanting Hare Krishna and becoming Krishna conscious we we actually learn how from our very hearts and souls we can be well wisher of everyone in our different roles with them. And some people are famous and some people are not famous. But that's not important to us. What's important is they're all part of Krishna. And the best way we can serve people from our Prahlad Maharaj tells us and Narada Muni tells us that <coughs> to those who are spiritually advanced we want to serve them especially by hearing their instructions. Yes? And for those who are our equals we want to serve them by being friends with them and inspiring them spiritually and sharing with them in every way. And for those who are junior to us, because now you're getting older, so more and more there'll be people junior to you, then you serve them by trying to be a good example for them and inspiring them and even giving them nice guidance. But in every way, according to a person's particular role, we're trying to inspire We're trying to please Krishna in every, in each and every one of our relationships. Does that answer your question? Thank you. Srila Prabhupada Ki Thank you very much. <laughs>